0: Part of the reason I feel like the Lord stirred me to challenge you a little bit today. How many of you like coming to church to get challenged? How many of you are like, "That's a different church. Do that somewhere else." We come to church just because we want, you know, sweet candy kind of things. Like, like, I'm going to challenge you a little bit today, and um, and and I feel like the Lord kind of nudged me in that direction um, for you because of what is ahead of you. Um, that what is going on here, as great as it is, and as much as you may enjoy and like your church. That, that the characteristics of what God has put deep within Kevin and Amanda's heart, and I believe has been transferred to many of you, is a deep passion that your, your city and your region would fall in love with Jesus. That we don't just want to have a church for 64 people to feel like a country club. The goal is to have an open hospital where everyone who's far from God doesn't know God, has brokenness and baggage and heartache and pain and sin and grossness and whatever, can walk through the doors and not feel like they're walking through the doors of a sin scanner where... To, to, and all your stuff comes up on, the, on the, the TV, but where they can walk in and go, I don't have it all figured out yet. I've got some junk, probably some things that would make you blush. And yet I can, I, I can feel welcome here. That vision and facilitation of, of church, life-giving church community is deep within his heart. And I believe Vortex is positioned for that. I was, I was driving out from the airport. I told Pastor Kevin this uh, yesterday. And um, I stopped to see another friend who, who's down here in the Charlotte area. We were catching up for a few minutes. And one of the things he said to me when I told him I was coming to preach at Vortex, he said, man, Charlotte is, is like, that's where Charlotte's growth is going. Over the next three, four, five years, Charlotte, Albemarle will be the, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Am I saying that wrong? Is that okay? Because there's an R in that word. And in my part of the country, we leave R's out. So, um, so they, they just said, he, this pastor was saying to me that, that Charlotte is growing to where Albemarle will be like the outskirts of Charlotte in the next three, four years. Like that's where it's going. So I just, I want you to hear today as we talk through the challenge of preparation for what is coming. What is coming is expanded population, and and this is already a good-sized city. What is coming is expanded influence. What is coming is expanded gospel opportunity. What is coming is expanded kingdom context. And so if this is your first time at Vortex, you may be like, wow, that guy's weird. Thank God he's only going to be here one week. Come back next week. Well, actually, you got another weird guy next week too, don't you? So, um, (laughs) So you're out of luck. You have to come three times. That's how it works. Um, but I believe God has something unique and and in order for him to, to do what he needs to do, right? Everything God does, he does through people. And so he's got to equip, challenge, grow, move, mold, shape us to be able to facilitate what he wants to do on the earth and through Vortex. So, um, I'm so grateful to be here. I love your pastor and his wife. I love their family. Today, I got a tour of the whole facility from one of their sons. He walked me around with his Bieber hair and, um, and showed me everything, told me all about it. And um, it was awesome. And so I'm just so proud of what's taking place here. But would you do me a favor? I want to honor Pastor Kevin and Amanda. And I know you love them, but can you do me a favor? Can we give them a great big hand clap? Just say thank you for leading well. (laughs) <laughs> for setting trajectory and vision, for sharing your heart and life with your church family. Um, a lot of pastors don't do that. And so I'm so proud of you guys. And, and, and this church is an overflow of who you are. And uh, it's incredible. So well done. I um, wanna take a minute to introduce you to my family real quick. Um, so this is my family. As you can see, I'm wearing my favorite shirt today. And, uh, <clears throat> but that young lady to, to your right, uh, to, to, on my uh, left, your right, is my wife, Janelle. Um, we've been married, we'll be married thirty years in December. We got married at nine is amazing. Um, and so we'll be married 30 years. this year. Uh, my wife has just uh, she's a warrior. Um, she had to fight a breast cancer battle during COVID and uh, conquered that by the by the grace and power of Jesus Christ. And so she's healthy and well, but this week she actually lost her daddy. He went home to be with Jesus this week. And so she's unable to be with me in person today, but of course um, sends her love and, and, and blessing to all of you. So that's my wife. And then we have three kids. Um, my oldest is that young lady over on the right, Ashton. She's uh, 28. She's a math teacher, got her degree in math, and um, love her, so proud of her. And her husband is on the other end. I don't know if they were going to fight that day or what happened, but um, that's her husband over there, Kurt. Uh, they've been married about five years, This wonderful, wonderful, wonderful young family. My middle daughter is next to Kurt. That's Kelsey. Kelsey's 23, uh, excuse me, 25, and she's also a teacher, got her undergrad in mathematics. She teaches elementary school, and uh, my son is next to my daughter over there. That's Dakota, and he's 23, just graduated from Southeastern University last year. Um, also lives with us. All the kids either live with us or they're three minutes from us. They're just, we're so, so, so grateful to the Lord for that. And then I have, a, I have two grandsons. She's holding the first one. He's now, uh, in that picture, he's four years old. Um, that's Hampton David Couchman. How many know he's got grandpa's namesake? So what's up? He's my favorite because David's in his name. Um, so that's Hampton uh, my my son-in-law actually is from Alabama, so um, we've got a little southernness in us, and uh, and then the the little one up there, that's Jet Caleb Couchman, um, and they are amazing and our pride and joy. How many of you, any, anybody in here, have grandchildren? Who has grandchildren? Put your hand up real high. Okay, how many of you are trying to help your parents get grandchildren right now? You're working on it. You should celebrate that. That's a good thing. Okay, um, but anyway, grandkids are like the joy of of our life. Like we just. Everything about uh, their world, it makes us smile. However, we also have discovered that we no longer have a life is what we've discovered because they're in charge of everything. Um, but we, we love grandkids in that season of our life. Uh, today, as I said, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Um, and so I hope that, that, that you will just, you know, kind of be prepared to hear what the Lord might want to nudge you in. Um, so let's pray and then we'll get in, okay? Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we're grateful to be in your house today, grateful to to sit under the word of God. We're grateful to worship you, uh, give give you the focus of our mind, the attention of our heart. God, lifted hands, raised voices to celebrate and honor and adore you. And today, God, we ask you to have your way here, continue to to meet with us. But God, shape us and nudge us and mold us. God, let our hearts be challenged or pricked by by what you have today. Let my words be your words. Let let you be the, the conveyor of truth more than my words. And uh, God, let it, let it bring glory to the name of Jesus. Let it uh, increase the influence of your body, the local church, into our community, God, that, that the name of Jesus would be, would be extended and the kingdom of God would be extended and that the name of Jesus would be made famous. So have your way today, Lord, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, look at the person beside you and say, you're gonna have to talk a little bit today. Amen. Tell them, tell somebody, you're gonna have to talk a little bit today. Look at the person on the other side and say, and he's talking to you too. Okay, all right. Now we're going to work out our arms for a minute because sometimes I want you to raise your hand. So everybody do this. Put your right arm up real high. Go ahead, put your right arm. Look around. If someone doesn't have their right arm up, go punch them in the shoulder. Okay, now just work it out a little bit. Just go and work that shoulder out. Now try your left hand a little bit. Let's just do that a little bit, a little bit. All right, now we're going to do Father Abraham. So everybody stand up, Father Abraham. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to sing. Um, but, I, but, I, but I do, I'm a, I prefer to have a little bit of talk back and a little bit of hand raising and stuff. So um, help me out a little bit today as we go. But today we're, we're in this series called Divested. And how many, how many heard Pastor Kevin's message last week? Somebody, come on, put your hand up. Let me know. All right. It was a great message. If you missed last week, you need to go watch the message. Great, great, great message to set the table for where we're going. And, and I want to build on it uh, a little bit today because I think, as I said, that where your church is Headed, and what God has for you is is you may not see it clearly yet but he's got a, he's preparing you to do something even greater than has taken place as the the, the, the city moves your direction and so um, we're going to talk about something today. We're going to talk about the idea of generosity. And so I want you to write something down. First of all, how many of you like receiving gifts? Anybody like receiving gifts? It's okay. It doesn't make you selfish to say that you like it. Okay. Some of you. How, how many of you um, have ever received a gift that was so great you didn't even know how to thank somebody for it? Has anybody ever done that? You ever had a moment like that? Like someone you knew you, you might get a gift or you thought someone was going to give you a gift. They gave you a gift and what you thought it would be you know, it was just extravagantly beyond that. It was just so much more than you could imagine. And you're like, oh my gosh, like thank you doesn't seem like enough. I feel like I should be more, like do something good. I need to pay you back. I need to, now I gotta go out and buy you a gift because it was so great. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you right here, okay. Look around and tell somebody, raise their hand. Just go ahead, tell somebody raise their hand. Just lie to him, raise your hand. Let him feel like he's connecting with us right now. Okay, I, I have had those moments. Where someone has done something for me that's so unexpected and so spectacular, and I, I, it's hard for me to get my mind around, what must have been going on in them, or what must God have said or done in them that led to something that I felt like was just exceptional and extravagant and unnecessary and undeserved, and, and all those kind of things. It was just powerful, and the, the way it impacted me as a receiver, as a receiver of a gift. In one particular case, um, there's a a gentleman, a friend of mine who was out in Tulsa. And um, I had gone out to to Tulsa to visit and do some things. And um, I was hanging out with him. And um, he literally out of nowhere decides to drive to his bank. He's like, I got to run an errand. he drives to his bank and withdraws a, a goodly sum of money and just turns and just puts it in my lap. And says, here, the Lord's told me to do this for you. You need to go and do these things with like the Lord wants to send you on a vacation. He wants to like, and I'm just sitting there like, what is going on? this extravagant provision gift to me. Years later, I was having a conversation with my friend. I was like, I remember that moment where I was sitting in your car and this is what took place. And I, and I gotta tell you for a long time, not only did it make me feel so much gratitude for you in my life and to the Lord for, for feeling seen, but I just we were able to go and experience this refreshing you know, moment that, that you just kind of spoke about when you gave us the, the money. And he goes, you know what's, what's funny is um, you felt so blessed by that, but I gotta tell you, I, I went around telling people how excited I was for what you were gonna get to experience. Like, I didn't go around and tell people I got to do this thing. I just went and said, oh my gosh, I've got this friend. He's gonna go on this vacation. He's gonna do this thing. I got to tell the story of your blessing that I got to facilitate. And I wanted to, I wanted to challenge you a little bit because I think sometimes we miss uh, some of the, the, the heart And some of the execution in the area of generosity because we view generosity through a natural lens. And I wanna wanna push you a little bit today um, in the area of generosity. So I hope you're taking notes. This is the first thing. This is your big idea for our conversation today. The decision to be generous is what ushers in the delight of being generous. And here's what I'm trying to say to you. Oftentimes, generosity is viewed as something we do out of a an overflowing heart. That generosity, and and stewardship is attached to this, but that generosity, giving of something, anything, is rooted in a stirred, like a, I feel joyful, excited, happy. Uh, I feel, ooh, ooh, excitement. On the giving side, the generous side, and that my emotional response to generosity precedes the action. In other words, if I don't feel excited about it, or I don't feel joyful about it, I don't feel happy about it, I'm not looking forward to it. I, there's not an emotional response, then I don't do something that is generous in nature. And I just I want to start with this: that the decision of generosity is what precedes the delight of generosity. That we don't feel the delight of generosity until after we've made decisions to live generously. And this is the uh, this is actually very clearly the nature of scripture. This, this kind of stuff is talked about the most in all of scripture. So if you're new to, to church, a vortex, whatever, the idea of financial stewardship and generosity in the local church is a spiritual economic process. And we're gonna read a passage of scripture here in a few minutes about that. But this is what Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says. It says, you're not likely to go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master, that is Jesus, said you are far happier giving than getting. Now that's a quote in Acts 20 of Jesus saying it is more blessed to give than to receive. And all of us have heard the verse. Look at the person beside you and say you've heard that. Go ahead and tell them. Say you've heard that. Look at the person on the other side and say I'm not sure about you though. (laughs) Better to be it's more blessed to give than to receive. We've heard that verse. You've heard, you, you, you've heard it you know, anecdotally. You might've had a parent or a grandparent or someone quote it to you. You might've even heard it in a, in a message somewhere, but I want to help you see Acts 20, the apostle Paul is quoting Jesus and emphasizing the idea that our circumstantial, our, our sense of joy actually comes from the generous act, not precedes it. We develop an emotional joy of generosity because there's a moment in our life and I'm, I'm believing that every single one of you in here has a step to take in this area. I don't think God put this on my heart for this church just because I needed something to preach. Like I believe he gave it and directed it and led it for you and everybody in here has a step to take in responding to what the Lord's wanting to do. And so Paul says in Acts chapter, uh, 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 Peter's writing in, in Acts chapter 20 here. Um, and, and what we read is that it is, it is better to give than to receive that our master said, oh, come on, come back. There we go. That the master said, you are far happier giving than getting. So when we talk about generosity though, I think there are three kind of traps that people fall into. And so one of these probably applies to you, but I'm gonna give you all three of them. Here's the first one. People say things like, when I have more, then I'll give more. When I have more, I'll give more. The reason I don't give or the reason I give very little or the reason it's small, my, my, my generosity, not just in the local church, but in my life as a whole, we'll get to specifically about the church in a minute. But when I have more, I'll get more, is we are evaluating our generosity through the lens of natural capacity. We, we tend to look at our, our, our capacity to be generous not through the lens of supernatural decision and, and character, the nature of how God has designed us, but we tend to look at it through, through our human evaluation of what are my circumstances. In other words... I will give more when I get more. And so I look at my number, whatever your number is, pick your number, $50,000 a year of your earnings or, or $12 in your bank account, whatever your thing is, we look at it and we go, when, when that number gets bigger, then I'll be generous. And we've tied generosity to a natural response instead of as a decision that we make to act, which is followed by response from God. That's what scripture says. But we take a natural lens on a spiritual practice. I'll give more when I get more. In other words, generosity is amount-based. Here's the second trap. The second trap that we can fall into is this. I'll invest my tithe and then I'll have more to give later. And I, I can't tell you through the years, Lifesong Church is 16 years old. Um, is, as you know, Pastor Kevin said, we were in a movie theater for seven years before we built our first building, moved into a building or, or renovated a building, um, which, by the way, I got to see the building downtown that you guys have. It's unbelievable, incredible what, what God has done in providing for you guys there. And I think there's a lot more ahead. And, and in, in our 16 years, I would have conversations with with people who would say to me, you know, Pastor David, I just, I, you know, the Ecclesiastes says to scatter your seed to many places, so that you get a good harvest. Because not every place you put your money, there's going to be a good harvest. So what I want to do is I want to take, um, I want to take the money that that I should be giving to the local church, and I want to go invest it somewhere, and I'm going to make more money, and then when I make more money, I'll give more out of the the getting a bigger return, and. And and that lens is, is very skewed because what we're saying in that trap is that I have the capacity to do better with God's money than God can do with the places he's directed it. I, I'm gonna invest the money. And when it goes up, then I'm gonna give more. And so there's, there's a trap there that we can buy into because later never comes. When, when investments go up, we go, ooh, now I can make more with more. And that perpetuates and becomes a cycle. And I don't know about you, anybody ever invested money and have it not go the way you want? Has anybody ever walked through that? One hand in the back. Everybody else is a perfect wealth investor. I am so impressed with your church, Kevin. Most of us have tried to put a little bit of money in a few places and it hasn't worked well at some point. And so the trap is that we believe that our capacity, our track record of imperfection in the case of God's money will yield a better return. Here's the third trap. The third trap is this, that my giving makes no difference, so why bother? And this is the trap of small beginnings. This is the trap that says, for me, giving or being generous in small amounts makes no difference. Now, we don't ever think that outside the church. I want you to think about this. Has anybody ever bought somebody, like, pay for the coffee for the guy behind you at Dunkin' or something like that, or bought somebody's lunch across the restaurant? Have you ever done something like that, right? When when those things happen, we don't ever think to ourselves, well, you know, it's only a $2.59 coffee. That's not going to matter to them. It's a small thing. It's a small act of generosity. It has no value. No, we think, ah, they're going to be blessed, and I hope they do the same thing for the person behind them. Or when we buy somebody's lunch, it's $27 or whatever. We think, you know, it's it's only $27. That's not really going to matter to them. No, we know full well that the Act of generosity, no matter what the size is, will have a will have an impact on the person toward which the generosity is applied. But in the local church, sometimes we buy this myth that I don't, I, 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 if I can't give the full tithe out of the gate, God is unhappy, or if my giving, even my tithe, is a small number, it doesn't matter. This church needs a lot of money, and my tithe is a small number. So I want, I want to dispel a myth for you. And I want you to see that the way you live your life most of the time with, with regard to small or large generosity should not be the lens that we apply. There is, no, there is no limiter that says unless it's above a certain threshold, it doesn't count, it doesn't matter. In fact, uh, things like crowdfunding make it very clear in the real world that if everybody will just do something, we can do something great. And so I wanna say to you today as we get started. If any of those myths have been your myth, if you've thought, I'm just going to invest it, and I'll, I'll give to God later when the number's bigger. I'll, I'm not going to give to God now because my life's in a difficult situation. And if God, but if when I get out of my difficulty, then I will trust you. Right now, I can't trust you, God. It's after I get out of the mess, then I'll trust you. In other words, I can solve my problems. I don't need you, God. Like we have, we have all these weird lenses we apply to God's structure of generosity. And so today, I want to I just kind of push you a little bit In this area, beginning to take steps toward trusting God with generosity. Here's the first thing: write this down. Generosity can never occur with something that isn't ours. You can't be generous with something that someone else's. I, I just let's let's see. Kevin, do you have a wallet? You have a wallet on you? Can I steal your wallet? Literally. So, no, I don't want your water. I want your wallet. Oh, thank you. This is for me. So this is a gift. You're not saying, don't touch my wallet, take my water. You're saying this is for you. Thank you. So, so here's the thing. So I've got, I, I've got a wallet here. Now, if I, if I have Kevin's wallet, and um, there's a lot of money in here. My gosh. <laughs> Can I get a job? Like, um, so if I take Kevin's wallet, and I'm, I'm holding Kevin's wallet, and um, I say to someone over here, like, yeah, just come here. What is your, I don't know, what is your name? Come on up here. So um, tell me your name again. Andy. Andy great. So I've got this, this wallet right here, and, I, and I'm just like, you know, hey, Andy, it's great to, to meet you. I just, I've heard there's some challenges, things in your life, whatever. And so I take this, and I go, listen, I just, I just want to bless you. I want to be generous and invest in your world, and I give that to you. And then, you know, be blessed, and you go on your way. Go ahead. You can go take that wallet. No, 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 that's... No, 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 you don't know. You don't know where that came from, right? This, right now, as far as you know, Andy, that's mine that I've given to you. And then I go and tell people about the opportunity to meet Andy and I say, Andy, oh my gosh, and you know she had some, some a need or whatever. And I just, I was able to be generous and bless her. But you knew that what I was giving to her was actually not mine. What I gave to her was Kevin's. You would say... That's terrible. First of all, you weren't generous. She may feel provided for, and that's great, but the generosity that you are A, taking credit for, or B, believing that God will respond to is flawed because you're a thief. You stole from someone else what was theirs and gave it to someone that may not have been the owner's intent. And you wanted credit for the delivery. Now, Andy still experiences the blessing of having all that $72,000 you keep in your wallet. She still gets all that blessing because the provision has landed in her hand. But I, as the one who was the deliverer of it, thinking I'm generous... have a barrier with God because I have used something to try and demonstrate generosity that wasn't mine. I I wasn't the owner of it. I didn't have control of it. I actually directed it in a way that may not have been at all what the owner of the thing intended. And so what I want to say to you, and by the way, you can give Pastor Kevin back his wallet. It's okay. He wants it back and he's going to count the money just so you know. (laughs) He's down there going, get it down here right now, send it down here. So, so what I want you to what I want you to hear here and see is that um, there are so many of you that are a part of, of Vortex that have taken steps of generosity. Like you, you have you have, you have pro- progressed in the journey of what I would call the supernatural kingdoms economic structures and principles and postures, whether whether you've known these principles for a long time, you've learned them here, but you've grown in that journey. But there, there are, as in every church, there are a lot of you who either are under the false belief of some of those myths or believe you have yet to understand that there is a portion of what goes through your hands that is not yours to decide on. It is not yours. You're not the owner I'm not the owner. And when I use money that is not mine, the Bible says that the first 10% of everything that goes through my hands, the Bible calls it increase, all of my increase, belongs to the Lord. It belongs to his bride to care for it. And when I utilize the first 10% to pay my mortgage or to pay my car bills, I am saying to God, I'm going to use what's yours for what I want. Even when I use it to be generous, like I'm going to go and give some money to the local hospital fundraiser, I'm going to go and pay for a you know a, a baseball team sponsorship. I'm going to do things that don't benefit me that would be perceived to be generous or gracious or you know they're external and they have a a, a goodness attached to them, but I'm using something that isn't mine to do it. And there's a there's a there's a supernatural economic problem when we take what doesn't belong to us. we would all say it in the natural. when we use something that doesn't belong to us to do something for somebody else, we've been a thief, and then we want to take credit for something we don't deserve. But we miss that the first portion of all that's put into our hands isn't ours. is not yours. And so uh, the first thing I want you to get, as we're talking about this, is, is, is the principle of the first. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 14 says everything everybody say everything. That wasn't everyone. Everyone say everything. everything. There we go. That's way better. Everything comes from you, God and we have given you only what comes from your hand. In other words, our our returning to God the first is only that which he has entrusted to us to begin with. In other words, we don't even get to be a giver when it comes to the tithe. We're a returner because God says, I need to know that you see me as your source, not you. And so we return the first to him and saying, God, everything that's in my hand comes to you. Whatever you want me to return to you, if it's 10, 20, 50, 80, 100, if I trust you and Your system, you will never leave me wanting. You'll never leave me in difficulty. I trust you more than I trust me. So I return the first to you. And if the Lord says half of it, I'll give it. I'll give half of it. God, whatever you are requiring, because you are my source, not me. And we can't be generous until we've trusted and and until we're utilizing what has been allowed to remain ours to choose about. That's when generosity begins. Here's the second thing living generously manifests and builds faith at the same time. So we're talking about a generous life. I want you to to open your Bible to Luke chapter 6. We're going to read this quickly together. Um, Luke chapter 26, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. I'm going to read uh, quite a number of scriptures. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so whatever translation you have, it may read a little differently, but Luke chapter 6. What you are going to see as we read this passage is that Jesus is describing for his disciples basically the, the, the way the supernatural kingdom works. It is the opposite of the natural. Everything about the people of God, those who serve God, we become citizens of a different kingdom. We are no longer citizens of this earth. We have a, a, a natural life. We are living in a foreign land, but we are citizens of another kingdom. And citizens of another kingdom operate under another system, another economy, another process. And so Jesus is like painting this picture with all of these contrasts through Luke chapter six. So let's read it together beginning in verse 27. It says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Those are opposites. We would, in the natural, people don't say love your enemies. They say, you know, defeat your enemies, beat up your enemies, kill your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. He says, do good to those who hate you. That's not natural. That's supernatural. Bless those who curse you. That isn't what the natural system would look like. That's a supernatural system. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Look at the person beside you and say, I'm praying for you. (laughs) If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. Okay, look at the person on the other side, slap them on the cheek. No, I'm just kidding. Someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also supernatural. That's not natural economics. It's not natural engagement. There's a, there's a supernatural thing at play here. Verse 30, give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And we love that verse and we quote that verse, but we don't think about what the, 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 the breadth of that principle is. Verse 32, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love people who love them. And if you only do good to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Verse 35, so love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are um, unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And then he sums this whole thing up right here in these next two verses. He says, uh, so do not judge others and you will not be judged. And we all love that. How many of you don't wanna be judged? Anybody not wanna be judged? Okay, the rest of you are all, all about judgment. Is that what I'm getting? Or did scar tissue set in? Like nobody wants to be judged. And so Jesus says, if you don't want to be judged, you have to not be judgmental. Okay. Don't condemn others for it will all come back against you. None of us want to be condemned. We want grace and mercy in our lives. So he says, be a gracious and merciful person. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Here's supernatural operation. Release people from their burden or expectation or, or repaying whatever they've done that's awful and terrible to you, whether that's your spouse or a boss or anybody else. Forgiven, it will be forgiven, or economic. Given, you will receive. In other words, what you pour out gets poured back in every way, including economics. Given, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap the amount you give will determine the amount you give back, and he is saying this in every arena. It's not just financial; it's everything, right? The, the amount of forgiveness we show is what we're going to experience. The amount of judgment we pour out is what we're going to give in our marriage. The the amount of judgment we pour out, the amount we're going to get back. The way we treat one another is the way we're going to get treated. The grace we operate in is the grace we're going to we're going to feel. That is supernatural kingdom principle, and as a as a believer and a resident of the kingdom, part of that is the way we are generous is the way we will experience generosity. So we can't do it with something that isn't ours. But when we operate generously, it is two, it, it, there's two parts to this, it both manifests and it builds our faith at the same time. In other words, it takes faith to say, in the face of my natural evaluation of economics, what the size of my bank account, the amount of my paycheck, when I look at my resources... And think about trusting God with the first 10%. It takes faith and obedience to believe that God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%. It takes faith to believe that. But it is also a faith builder when God moves. So we have to start with an act of faith, but then when God does do what he says he'll do, then our faith goes up and goes, Whoa, that made no sense to me. And yet, God, you have moved. It makes no sense to me to love my spouse when they behave toward me in a non-loving way. It makes no sense to me to, to dole out forgiveness and grace when what I really want is repayment and my enemy to be defeated. It makes no sense to me. But then when God moves in ways you and I can't understand in the natural, our faith goes up. We go, whoa, God, you did it. God, your word that you said would be, would operate. It's manifest in my life. I'm experienced the, the fiscal provision, the relational provision, the emotional provision that I couldn't understand. It manifests and it builds our faith at the same time. A friend of mine said it this way. He said, estate planning doesn't begin with your, with your, your, your financial planner. It begins with tithing and grows with generosity. In other words, as we trust God with the first 10%, and then we increase our generosity, the way we treat the, the person at the coffee shop or the, the baseball team that needs a sponsor, as those two things grow, we trust God with the first 10% we, and we begin to get generous in the way we live our life open-handedly toward others with our economics. We create a territory that God can, can bring a harvest we can't do on our own. As long as we stay at the origin point, we don't trust God and we're not generous toward people. We will have only the fruit of what we can do in our own strength. And some of us are stronger than others. But here's what I know. God is stronger than all of us. And if I will trust God with the 10th, and I'll trust God in the way that I see people around me, when God says that person needs you to take care of their lunch, you don't know what's going on, pay for their lunch. God says, I need you to go ahead and provide three Christmas boxes, not two, not one, not none. I need you to provide. There are so many kids who have nothing and your family is gonna be able to experience Christmas. Take care of some kids more than you thought you could. Or and your generosity goes up, you are allowing the Lord to do the prayer of Jabez thing where Jabez said, Lord, increase and enlarge my territory. And God says, I would love to increase and enlarge your territory. You have a lot of context for how large the territory is. I have a lot of context for how much harvest there is in it. Trust God with the first and begin to live open-handedly and generous. And we create a large territory out of which God blesses us. But it takes faith to get started. And every time we do and God responds, our faith quotient goes up. Here's the third thing, jot this down. Living generously builds eternal treasure. There's eternal, excuse me, I'm sorry. Living generously yields an earthly return. Write that down first. Living generously yields an earthly return. This is Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And you've probably known people like that. I'll just Have you ever known somebody who just seems to constantly be doing things that are generous? You look around, man, I wish I had the capacity to be that generous. They pay for someone's you know, repair on their car or they buy someone a car or they send you away, you send people away on vacation to their second home. You're like, man, I wish I had those kind of resources. It doesn't make sense that they're so generous yet the Bible says one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. In other words, when I don't use what God put in my hand for the purposes of God, I use it for my purposes. I discover that the things that are my purposes that I think I have provision for, the Bible describes it like putting, putting money in pants and pockets with holes in it. That no matter how much I stuff in there, it ends up going and disappearing out the holes. And I don't know why, because I seem to be trying to hold on to it. How does it keep disappearing? And Proverbs talks about this. Another withholds what he should give, but only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and whoever waters uh, and who waters will himself be watered or him who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. In other words, the economic principle of the kingdom is that it is as we are a distributor of what God pours into our hand. If we use it for the purposes for which God put it there, if we trust the direction of God with what he's put in our hands. And by the way, he wants you and I all to experience blessing and our life to be full. That's, he's not ashamed or afraid. That's not bad theology. What he is saying is, it's all mine and I have direction for it. And the first place you begin is trusting the, 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 the first 10th to the local church. And then I'll, I'll direct the rest. And I may say, use the other 90% to buy a boat. Use the other 90% to get it, like whatever. But what if he says, and give another 10% to the building fund? What if he says, take another 10% and go and drive into Charlotte and put it into a, a, a program that like, what if he gives you, do we live so close handedly that even the direction of God we distrust? And then lastly, living generously builds eternal treasure. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. It says this. It says, So give happily to those in need, always being ready to share whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will only be storing up real or eternal treasure for yourself in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. I love the way Paul writes this to Timothy, he's coaching him, saying that there is treasure that will outlive us. And it's not the treasure of the earth. But there is supernatural treasure that natural economics can build. Believe it or not, there is a way to leverage natural resources for supernatural or eternal consequence. And I know Pastor Kevin talked a little bit about this last week, that of course the greatest treasure in the whole world is a relationship with and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Like that, that is the transformative treasure that puts us in eternal relationship with God. However, that same treasure is available to us to give away in such a way that we lay up treasure upon treasure. The souls of those who are far from God. A friend of mine says it this way. He says, everybody's, everybody's headed somewhere and it's our job to redirect traffic away from the, gu- the gates of hell. Like our, our mission has to be about how do I help more people discover Jesus than end up far from him in eternity? And I know that's not only Kevin's heart, but it's the mission and purpose of this local church. And the mission and purpose of the church is fulfilled by the body at work in the things that it takes to bring it to pass. And so, so what I want you to hear today is that as, as you step into the future days, months, weeks, years at Vortex Church, that today is a marked moment for you. Today is a marked moment for you. Today is an opportunity for you as God kind of nudges you a little bit. Look at the person beside you and say, this was a little prickly. Go ahead and tell him, Say, this is a little prickly. Look at the person on the other side and say, I'm not sure I want him to come back. Here's reality. Is there are a whole lot of you in here who are, who are, who are generous beyond the 10th. A whole lot of you who, who've made possible the things through the years in extravagant ways. When God has said to you, transfer stock to this church because there's something great I need to do here. And you say, whoa, God, I don't know what to do with that, but, but I'm gonna obey you. I'm gonna trust you. And then God does something that you couldn't ask or imagine. And your faith has been built. There are others of you who are, who are saying, I, I, I give here periodically, but you know, it's always hard for me because I look at my bank account, I can't afford to do that, but, but I, I'm doing that periodically. And there are others of you like, I don't even know if I trust God enough to let him have control. And I, I, I want to take this very kind of, kind of center lane of generosity. I want to I I push out just two or three lanes and say this same principle is a, it, it, centrally is about trusting God. Centrally, generosity is about trusting God more than you trust you, more than you trust your paycheck, more than you trust your boss, more than you trust your small business, more than you trust anything. Do I trust God?